This is Frank Dominguez for WDAV's Piedmont Arts. The William H. Van Every and Edward M. Smith galleries at Davidson College play a fundamental role in the life of the institution and the larger community. The galleries support the academic mission of the college through the presentation of primarily contemporary artworks in all media for the college community, as well as for visitors to the campus. And occasionally the galleries commission new works, too. On Thursday, November 14th at 11.05 a.m. in the Visual Arts Center, there's an opportunity for coffee and conversation with the latest artist, Tap to Create a New Work for Davidson College. She is Bethany Collins, whose art has been exhibited at the Studio Museum of Harlem in New York City, the High Museum of Art, and the Birmingham Museum of Art as well. She's on the telephone from her base in Chicago to be the guest for this episode. Bethany, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Before we talk about your work, I'm interested to know when your interest in art went from the usual ways we experience art as children with crayons and that sort of thing to a knowledge that you wanted to make a living as an artist or be an artist uh, for your life. Well, I'm originally from Montgomery, Alabama, and for undergrad, I went to the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, and I started off by studying photojournalism, visual journalism, actually. I thought it would be... um, always been interested in making and the production of things and what they can say. But I thought visual journalism and working for the newspaper, um, a newspaper, would be a more steady, uh, kind of stable career path than to be a visual artist. I worked for a couple of, um, I interned for a couple of small community newspapers, and I realized, you know, I am much happier in the studio making than I am um, asking questions in the world. I'm much more of an introvert than an extrovert. So studio practice, being a visual artist, allows me to kind of tackle some of the same questions that I'm interested in. The goal of visual journalism is to find the answer. I'm actually much more interested in the questions. So eventually I started studying studio art, rather. I double majored, actually. You know, I get to bring some of what I enjoyed about photojournalism. It's the making of things, finding a different way to spin a thing so it looks anew, kind of familiar to the new. Um, but I can also be alone in the studio, alone with my kind of archives of language. It's much more suited to my personality than um, a photojournalist was. Since you talk about your work in the studio and your love of language, let's discuss a little bit uh, the focus you're known for, which is uh, exploring that interaction between race and language. Now, to a radio professional, that sounds like an audio project to me. So how do you pursue that visually? The language is the subject of the work, but it's also a material that I make the work out of. So I'm often looking at archives of language from old newspaper, microfilms to old literary journals old dictionaries that are now outdated. I like anything from, let's say, late 19th century all the way up until the 1980s. You know, language is the prism through which you can interrogate any other topic, I've found. There are 80 contronyms in the English language. Contronyms are words that contain their own opposite meaning. So quiddity is still my favorite contronym. Quiddity means the essence of something and a trifling nothing. So it is everything and it is nothing at the same time. So for me, that's a way to talk about race. It is everything and it is nothing simultaneously and also a myriad of other topics. So I've taken those contronyms and rewritten them, photographed them from the dictionary, transferred them onto American Masters bright white paper, rewritten them in graphite, and then I use a little bit of spit and I erase everything 
but the opposing definition. So that remains legible. The language then is the subject of the work, the, the kind of contradictions within the way that we see the world and the way that language exists, how we capture the world, but it also becomes a kind of visual means of erasing and leaving legible, kind of controlling the language. What happens in that erasure bit is a little bit more acidic than water, so it actually eats into the top surface of the page, and that becomes a kind of textured, constantly moving visual form. So the erasure, sometimes it clings to the surface of the page, sometimes it falls beneath it into the frame, and the language is never settled, but neither is the form of it. What we're looking at is, isn't settled as well. You said that you were more interested in the questions than the answers necessarily. So uh, what type of questions do you expect will uh, arise in a viewer's mind when they see these works? So a couple of years ago, I made a hymnal. It's made up of 100 versions of My Country Kids of Thee. So these versions are often called contrafactum, much more popular in early American songbooks, where you would change the lyrics of the song but keep the melody. So that, for one, it's an economical way to print a hymnal, it's less expensive if you don't have to reprint the music over and over again. But there's also an expectation that we will all know the way the song goes. So if we all know the tune, I can change the lyrics and get us to think about something differently. So these early uh, American versions of My Country Tis the Sea were vastly different and often also opposing. There are uh, temperance versions of My Country Tis the Sea, labor union versions, pro-labor, pro-union, a lot of um, abolitionist versions. But then there also exist versions that the Confederate Army would sing as they marched. And those kind of you know, hundred different versions of My Country Tis the Sea all housed together in one hymnal presents a hundred dissenting ways of thinking about what it means to be American. So I burned in this one hymnal book that I made a couple years ago, I burned away the music. So the char of that burning still wafts up as you kind of leaf through the pages. And then I left the lyrics, a hundred different versions, legible. So the thing that's holding all these ways of being American together is gone. And only the dissenting, differing opinions about what it means to be American are left readable, singable. I made this after the 2016 election as a kind of response to that moment and feeling that dissension and that falling apart of the page is what the post-election moment felt like for me as well. You know, often I'm looking through the archives. I'm looking for a way to rethink or to reimagine a particular moment or at least to capture how that moment feels now. So these 100 versions, they begin with the 1831 version of My Country to the Sea, the one that we all know. And then the last version included in the hymnal is actually Marian Anderson, but she's singing from the Lincoln Memorial Step. So those are all before this moment. You know, I made the piece in response to the 2016 election. All of that exists very much before that moment, but it feels like a way to make sense of the now. How are these works displayed? You're talking about a, a book in this particular case that you've created. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's intended to be handled. So uh, how does a visitor to a gallery encounter a work like that? So often the book will be left out, and so you can actually flip through the pages of the hymnal. But burning away the tiny musical notes on each and every single page means that the work becomes tangled up. A lot of tiny holes on each page, they're bound to kind of um, intersect and tangle together. And so the more the piece is read, the more it will fall apart, the more the more it fails. 
right? Whether you're flipping through the pages or it's sitting there, there's a kind of problem inherent in the book as there is a problem inherent in a hundred different versions of the same song, and as there's apparently a, you know, still a very American problem that's led us to this moment. This sounds like a glib or flip question. I don't mean it that way. But uh, in galleries, generally, uh, there's uh, signage that uh, describes uh, the materials used in creating the work. So how does the signage in a work like that uh, uh, mm. articulate what you've done there? It only reads, artist book with a hundred laser cut leaves. That's all. But you have to interact with the book to know that it's, um, that it's bound to fail, that you are part of kind of complicit in its failure if you choose to read it. And only if you get super very close to it, do you smell the char of the page. So you become mm, necessary to fulfilling the, the promise of the work. I want to change gears here and ask you about the commission you've received from Davidson College. What can you tell me about it, and, and how does that fit with your artistic vision? Only that I'll be looking through the archives, Davidson's archives. I never know what I'll find. So the project is dependent on my week in residency and in research. But the time there feels necessary to understand the place and what I'll actually produce. Well, we'll look forward to uh, visiting with you again when you have an opportunity to uh, actually uh, fulfill the commission and, and see what form and shape it takes. My guest has been Bethany Collins, an artist commissioned by Davidson College to create a new work, and she'll be on campus for a residency that includes an opportunity for coffee and conversation Thursday, November 14th at 11.05 a.m. in the Visual Arts Center here on campus. There's a link to more information about the event and the artist at the Piedmont Arts page at WDAV.org. Bethany, thanks so much for speaking with me. Thanks for having me. For WDAV's Piedmont Arts, I'm Frank Dominguez.